following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. Proverbs 6, verses 20 through 35. Here we go. My son, observe the commandment of your father and do not forsake the teaching of your mother. Bind them continually on your heart. Tie them around your neck. When you walk about, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk to you. For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching is a light. And reproofs for discipline are the way of life to keep you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. Do not desire her beauty in your heart, nor let her capture you with her eyelids. For on account of a harlot, one is reduced to a loaf of bread. Interesting analogy, isn't it? And an adulteress hunts for the precious life. Can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Or can a man walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So is the one who goes into his neighbor's wife. Whoever touches her will not go unpunished. Men do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy himself when he is hungry. But when he is found, he must repay sevenfold. He must give all the substance of his house. The one who commits adultery with a woman is lacking sense. He would destroy himself. Who does it? Wounds and disgrace he will find, and his reproach will not be blotted out. For jealousy enrages a man, and he will not spare in the day of vengeance. He will not accept any ransom, nor will he be satisfied, though you give many gifts. Praise God for his word. Amen. Now, let's move back to verse 20 and, and work through this. <clears throat> we've, we've said a lot about the Proverbs as we've been back in this book. And Proverbs is many things. And, and one thing that it is often is it, it's a series of wise warnings. Okay? And you see that here. Warnings. And then it lays out in a very practical way some of the consequences if you ignore them. Okay, So wise warnings, practical consequences if you ignore the warnings. Fairly simple. But it's interesting. For some reason, particularly the content of some of Proverbs 5, Proverbs 6, I would say also moving into Proverbs 7, particularly in some of the subject matter it deals with, we have unfortunately, we've begun to act like, in some cases, it's a foregone conclusion that these benevolent boundaries, these wise warnings, that they, for some reason, it's like some have decided we, we can't realistically adhere to them. It's almost like, well, yeah, I know, I know it says that, but that's not, no one can really do that. And that is... I genuinely, as I look at things that we're dealing with today, particularly in the headlines and all kinds of issues in our culture, I really think that's a big part of the problem. Is at some point we've decided what, what the scripture lays out as wise to do and not to do. In, in, in many instances, we've just said, yeah, okay. You know, that's, that's kind of backwards, ancient, 
maybe, you know, maybe, it's, maybe it's right sometimes, but it's just, not, it's just not realistic. I think we should challenge that premise. I think we should think through where maybe we've even been convinced that that's true sometimes. Because is, is God a God that would say, all right, here's, here's the benevolent boundaries, and I'm using that word on purpose many times because I want it drilled into your heads. The fact that God's boundaries are benevolent. What does that mean? That means they have good intentions behind them. Well, what do I mean by that? I mean, well, God is a good father, not an angry tyrant. And I know many have seen him that way. Many have understood God to be an angry tyrant and not a good father that loves them. And so what God is, is never doing in, in setting a boundary is trying to keep you away from something that's going to bring joy, blessing, or peace into your life. He's not ever trying to keep good things from you. He's trying to keep things from you that are going to bring destruction and pain and sorrow. Always. And that, that is a basic premise. You'll, you hear me talk about it all the time. But it's because it's one of those basic premises that in, in, in thought form, in theory, it's like, yeah, sure. But boy, when the rubber meets the road and it gets out to really applying that in the way that we think and navigate life, it, it, can, it can get very sticky. It can get hard for us to hold to that truth with the kind of severity that we need to so that we can look at warnings like this and see it as God's goodness towards us, right? It's, it's real important, and, and it's not something... I, I, there was an older theologian, his name's escaping me, so I'm, I'm sorry that I can't give him proper credit, but <clears throat> it, may have, it, it might have been Packer, but I don't know if it was. In, in any case... It was, it was an older guy that's faithfully taught the Bible for a long time, so you should listen to him. And he hasn't blown up, you know, the ministry that God gave him, and those are rarer and rarer. So, like, I listen to those guys, right? They're a lot older than me, been teaching the Bible a long time, and, and have lived a, a good exemplary life, then, you know, I want to hear what you have to say. And uh, he said that Christianity is often like, it's, it's remembering what I've forgotten in perpetuity. And there's, there's something to that. I mean, that's... You can think about it more. Sound like two of you got what that meant, but you know, I think there's some depth to that. It's not. It's not like I grab a hold of a principle one time and it's like, oh, I got, I got that forever. Because there's going to be, as I grow, as life changes, as new situations approach, there's, there's, there's has to be a malleability. And there has to be an ability to adapt the way we even apply those principles and wisdom. Right? It's not always as straightforward as it seems. So. And sometimes we just forget stuff. <laughs> I mean, I don't know, me, maybe all of you have minds like elephants and, uh, you know, you never forget anything, but I, I do. And so it's, it's good to come back to maybe what could seem like elementary things. Think about them again and digest them again. And so ultimately today we, we see warnings against primarily, so verses 20 through 35, Proverbs 6, it's primarily, primarily warning against uh, adultery. So, son, here's all these things to keep in mind. Follow these commandments so that you can stay out of the path of the, the danger that comes, the destruction that comes of associating with an adulteress. As we talked about as we got back into Proverbs, any of these warnings, right? This one is written from the perspective of a father to a son, but we see here, this is one of the examples that I told you about when we talked about this, that though many of the Proverbs is you know, from a father to a son, he includes in here, also adhere to your mother's teachings. Don't let go of your mother's instructions, right? And so there, there's this idea that, you know, you can take, 
whatever, whatever warnings we have to a son about avoiding the adulteress and having wisdom about that, all of the daughters can take that and avoid the adulterer, okay? That translates. There's an equal sign between it, right? That's not a leap or a jump. Uh, that's definitely the way we should see it, okay? So just let's make sure we know that. <clears throat> our, our issue is not just that we've somehow relented on the idea that we can do with any kind of realistic consistency what the Bible is saying we should do or not do. It's, it also, we also sometimes have fundamental misunderstandings about God's design and purpose and in a lot of things. And I think today it, it, would, it would zero us in on, and I would, I would maybe argue that the whole time we're going to spend in Proverbs for this session, being in Proverbs 5, 6, and 7, it, it all kind of surrounds misunderstandings, lack of wisdom, um, lack of trust in God's design and purpose for marriage and family and sex. That you can kind of summarize going 5, 6, and 7. It, it, it hits these different specific aspects of that, but that's, it's all kind of in that bucket, okay? So let's, let's just look again starting in verse 20, and see what we have here, okay? It says, My son, observe the commandment of your father. Do not forsake the teaching of your mother. Okay, here's some things to think about. Many of the hot-button cultural issues we're dealing with today that have to do with fundamental understandings around God's purpose for marriage, family, and sex, a lot of it, if you really, you know, man, it's so... <laughs> It's so easy to get caught up in auxiliary and symptomatic issues that spring up out of things. It's, it's hard work to stop and think and pray and ask God for wisdom about what are the roots. Because oftentimes, we, we, by the time we get to thinking about addressing problems, it's, it's when it's already bubbled up and it's at its final kind of iteration. But most of these things start somewhere down lower. There's roots to it, Right? Weeds that grow, they, they grow underground for a minute before they even pop up and you see them, right? And so what I'm, what I'm getting at here is, <clears throat> verse 20 says, My son, observe the commandment of your father, do not forsake the teaching of your mother. That assumes that there's instruction from the father and teaching from the mother. What am I doing? I'm, going, I'm trying to identify a root issue here. A lot of the, what we're dealing with today is that there's not even a chance for many young ones, sons or daughters, to adhere to these teachings or bind them around their neck or pay attention to the instruction or heed the wisdom given to them from generations before because there's a total vacuum and lack of any wise biblical instruction coming from mothers, fathers, grandmothers, grandfathers. And so how, so how do we take that, friends? Well, first of all, some, you know, some of us hear that, and because we're, we're trained to think biblically, we, we, we know the word of God is a mirror, so we take that automatically. And if, if there's children in our lives that we've been entrusted to have influence over, we start to think, okay, all right, that's, that's maybe a good point. How am I doing on that? Am I offering biblical wisdom and a framework to the children that I've been entrusted to have influence in their life? And I'm saying it that way because I'm talking to parents, of course, but I'm also talking to aunts and uncles. I'm talking to older cousins. I'm talking to mamas and papas. I'm talking to folks in the church that are close friends and your families spend a lot of time together. The, the children in your life that you've had the opportunity to influence and have stewardship over is not restricted to biological parents. We talked about that more 
in previous sermons uh, in this series. So I'm not going to belabor that point. However, uh, it, it should first of all have us asking ourselves, all right, how, how, how am I doing on, with that responsibility? Because it's an important one. And the, the, the Bible assumes that that'll be happening, or at least that it should. And so how many, so it does that, it, it causes us to look in a mirror and say, okay, Lord, help, maybe, maybe I'm doing okay at that, I've got room to grow in all things, but, so Lord, help me do well at that. Help me, for all the little ones, the young ones, the, the, the teenagers, whoever, you know, whoever it is that I have opportunity to influence, to speak truth and life and hope to, Lord, help me to steward that opportunity well. So that, that should be one implication of just reading those first two verses. Lord, help me be someone that offers wise instruction that somebody can cling to, somebody that has the word of God on my mouth and offers it freely, right? But what it also should do is key us into the reality of root issues that cause some of the absolute chaos and wildness that we see manifesting in our culture broadly. It's very easy to get self-righteous. That's it's like almost the easiest thing to do. When it comes to problems and, and, and people doing things that you would perceive as sinful and wrong and all that, and maybe it is sinful and wrong, it's it, the easiest position probably to slide into it's also perhaps the most damning is to get self-righteous and just go, oh, look at, look, at the, look at them. Look at how terrible they are. The, the, the hard work is to not just look at people's behavior and, and the, the last line outward manifestations of whatever it is that's contributed to where they're at. The hard work is to say, okay, what are the roots there? Did, am I looking at somebody whose behavior may be self-destructive, it may be absolutely harmful to others, but am I looking at somebody that just right off the bat never even had a chance to bind a mother's teaching around their neck or to listen to a father's instruction? And I'm not just saying because they weren't there. Man, it's, it's almost worse sometimes to have parents there and, that, and still they don't get any of that. No wisdom, no biblical teaching, no... No pointing whatsoever to the goodness of God so that they know where to go and look to find a way to navigate a world that's very complicated and broken. Okay? So what it should do is it should bring potentially conviction to us and a heightened awareness of our responsibility to be instruction givers in humility by the power of God, but also humility and compassion because there's a whole lot of people that never even got a shot. And statistically, if you get into it, a whole lot of the stuff that ends up being the, the wildest stuff you see happening out here in terms of sin and folly, statistically, you trace that back. There, there, there was not this going on. Mother's instruction, father's teaching, vice versa, right? That's important to remember. Verse 21, bind them continually in your heart, tie them around your neck. So now we can get into, so we've said that. Now let's... <clears throat> Now let's think about specifically how we teach young people and or if you're somebody in here, honestly, you don't even have to be a young person. Everybody in here should have somebody that they're humble enough to be listening to. And you guys realize we can learn from just about anybody? Have you guys picked that up yet, that little nugget of truth in life? If I had a daily email, that could be one of the golden nuggets I share, right? You could learn from everybody. 
There's no plan for a daily email. Don't sweat it. It's all right. You're okay. So, but you can learn from anybody. So, so what, what do we do and what do we teach others to do with wise instruction? What does it mean to bind it around your neck? What does it mean to, when you walk about, so, so, so that when you walk about, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you, right? How do, what, so again, what does this do? It gives me an opportunity to think, all right, do I do that with wise instruction? Do I treasure it? Do I, do I think about wisdom and the truth of God the way the Proverbs often talks about it as far more valuable than fine silver? Do I really? I'm like, oh yeah, that's neat ancient Hebrew poetry. Or, or really, if somebody offered me a hunk of fine silver versus some wisdom that I could carry throughout my life that would help me to obey God and avoid the things that happen when I don't obey God, which one am I reaching for? Right? So again, an opportunity to judge ourselves, but which is a good thing. But then also, it's an opportunity for us to think about how it is we, we may talk about that to others and instruct others. What else does it do? I mean, the, the wisdom of God is so powerful that even as you're sleeping, it'll watch over you. Isn't that amazing? And we know a lot more today about the subconscious mind and how that works and what's going on in sleep. That makes even more sense, right? When you awake, they will talk to you. It's always going to be with you, this wisdom. For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching is a light. That's an interesting, man, that's an interesting analogy, isn't it? And light is used throughout the scriptures. Here we're talking about particularly how wise instruction, biblical instruction, can act as a lamp and a light in people's life. And so again, I think that puts us in the same spot. A, let me, let me th- do I think about it that way? Do I understand about myself that I am navigating and often, oftentimes a, a dark world, I'm going to need some light to get through it. So, so I, do I acknowledge that? And furthermore, do I acknowledge that I myself have dark spots in my understanding, blind spots in my ability to navigate? Am I humble enough to say that? That's a great question for myself, isn't it? Do I know that I need light? Okay, and then what am I going to use as light? Because there's different lights out here. There's, there's false ones, that, and that light, you know, it only lights the path that leads to a cliff that drops off and hurts you. But the light and the lamp of the wisdom of God will lead you in righteousness, and it will lead you on paths of joy and peace and hope in Christ. We need that light. Do I think about it that way? Do I seek for that? Am I humble enough to know I need it? So again, this gives us great self-examination questions. And if you've never, I'm belaboring this point, I'm doing it with almost every verse because I'm, you know, I'm also just thinking this morning, maybe you, know, you could probably sit in Bible teaching and sermons for a long time and not know that as the Bible's being taught, that's part of what you're supposed to do with it. Is the Bible, that the Bible is a mirror and so as it speaks truth, I hold it up and go, okay, do I look like that? Ooh, no, <laughs> right? Oftentimes not. If I'm being honest, yikes, put that down. Amen. Okay, so that, but also now the other side of the coin is again, this is an opportunity for us to increase in compassion and make sure we think right about those that don't follow godly wisdom and instruction, to see that as somebody that, how, how absolutely devastating is it to, to have blind spots, to be fumbling in the dark, 
and not know where to find light that will actually help you find your way? Can you, can you not have compassion on a person that, that is in that situation? And, and can you not see that the harmony of the scriptures is that Satan is a liar, he's a deceiver, right? And so people that are in situations that you, you may be tempted just to jump up onto your mighty white horse and, and declare from your self-righteous mountain, most of you in your heart, you wouldn't say it out loud, right? But from here, declare them evil and, and, and even let that thing convince you for a minute of how much better you are. That's, that's the easy, the easiest route is to head there with our sinful human nature. But what, what Jesus would lead us to is to say, okay, first of all, help me remember this, Lord. I once was blind. A. B, oftentimes people are still blind. Oftentimes people are without light. And my heart should be broken for that as opposed to doing a bunch of self-righteous pointing. Amen? Amen. That'll help you. Because listen to me. Look at Jesus' ministry. Think, keep this, look, if I get hit by a bus this week and I don't get to teach you anything else ever again, just let, let me teach you this right here. Look at the New Testament. Look at the teachings of Jesus. Look at who he got in clashes with. The most dangerous sin you could possibly get into is not any of these evils out here that make the headlines. It's self-righteousness. Jesus said, whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones, brood of vipers, how will you escape hell? Who do you say that to? Harlots and prostitutes, adulteresses? Who do you say it to? No, he said it to self-righteous religious people. Now, don't misunderstand me because nothing of what I'm saying is, is a slide towards some kind of theologically liberal position that means sin doesn't matter and I don't have to obey the Lord and, and la-di-da-di-da. No, not at all. What I am telling you is the most dangerous sin, the most deeply blinding sin that's going to lead you into destruction is self-righteousness. Remembering always the gospel that I, the only reason I have light is because light came and gave it to me for free. And his name is Jesus. That'll help me keep my mind and heart right in the way that I deal with others and the way I think about others. Because you know that matters too, right? I'm not just saying, church, that, that, that you need to avoid lashing out at people verbally that you think are, are more wretched than you. I'm not just saying that. I'm saying you've got to guard what goes on in here about it. All the way down in the heart, that's actually what's more important, is what is allowed to live here. Okay? All right. <clears throat> the commandment is a lamp. The teaching is a light. Reproofs for discipline are a way of life. Thank God the Lord disciplines those whom he loves. Have I, have I ever struggled to be really thankful for the Lord's discipline? Yes. Just like my little children sometimes struggle to be thankful for my discipline. Absolutely. But when I'm thinking right and I'm understanding things as they really are, thank God that he loves me like a father. And he will say, son, knock it off. Right? I can get myself into all kinds of trouble. And then we see in verse 24 this transition to keep you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. Really, the rest of this is, is saying in different ways. 
that this, this, there's this particular deception, there's this particular draw towards this, this sin of adultery and the consequences that come from it. There's a little bit of, of repetition here. Giving some warnings, trying to fill out. All right, this, this is one of the instructions I'm giving you. It, it, this could seem like a good idea for a whole lot of reasons. There's a lot of ways you could be deceived into thinking that this looks good or is going to end up good. It won't. <laughs> over and over again. Here's, here's a bunch of reasons why it won't. Here's a bunch of bad stuff that'll actually happen. That's really, you know, if you want the... <clears throat> The PVV, Pastor Vince version uh, of the Proverbs, that's, that's kind of my summary of it. So, but here's what's interesting. When, when I'm talking about what the Proverbs are, biblical wisdom, whether we're going to see that as good and, and light, or we're going to see that as somehow backwards and, and taking us away from what is good and truthful, right? And that's kind of the clash we see happening largely in the culture on multiple different issues. The specifics of Proverbs 6 around adultery. Now, again, I told you, I think this touches biblical teaching on God's purpose and design for family, right? Marriage and sex, it's all in there. Why is adultery an issue? It violates God's design for Family and sex and marriage, right? So that's, that's kind of, that's the connective link there, all right? And that's important because I find it really interesting. There, there are some things that the Bible teaches that we as a culture still broadly kind of agree with or we think is right. Here's an example. 75% of Americans think adultery is always wrong. That's still, I mean, I was, when I saw that, I was like, okay. It's not as bad as I thought. Amen, right? That's good, 75%. Here's what's even, this, I think this will surprise you. 75% of people in the U.S. also think emotional infidelity is a real thing. And it's wrong. Okay. Here's my question, though. So those are good. I'm celebrating those. Good job, America. One, one spot that at least 75% of you haven't quite lost your mind yet. But here's, so that's a teaching about God. So what does that have to do with? It has to do with God's design for marriage and family and sex. So we, we still broadly, I mean, 25% of people out here, I don't know what they're doing, swingers and stuff, I guess. You know, it's like, yeah, adultery's cool, doesn't matter. And you get how you can get there, right? You know, Bella Swan and Twilight, marriage is just a piece of paper, right? You know, all that type of stuff. Um, so you, you get far enough away from God's design and purpose for you guys didn't think I knew who Bella Swan was, did you? I see you all laughing. I know, I know about stuff. I know some things. Uh, <clears throat> the further you get away, the more deception you allow in around God's design for. First of all, you just got to decide, like, were these things God's idea? Marriage and family and, and sex. I know there's a lot of people that that's, we're not even there yet. And, and I get that. Like, we... Part of what we have to do as good missionaries, part of what we have to do as good ambassadors for the kingdom of God is we have to be wise enough to understand where we're at in the conversation with somebody. And that's what I'm not seeing very much of, unfortunately, in like current hot button issues. And I mean all the way up to this week. You, you gotta have some sense about you and understand that, that, that throwing memes on the internet for the most part is not gonna be helpful on really complex issues. They get down all the way to the root of God's design in creation for elemental things 
like marriage and family and sex. So a lot of where any like good work is actually going to happen here, any like real kingdom ambassador work is going to happen is in the context of relationships where there's enough trust to be able to ask enough questions to find out, okay, who am I even dealing with here? Am I dealing with someone that A, even believes God exists? Because if I jump all the way to, okay, well, here's, here's, here's God's design for this, but I haven't stopped to see if this person has hurdles in their mind and heart about whether God even exists, I've, I've jumped the gun and I'm, I'm screaming into a black hole. You understand what I'm saying? And, and I'm just speaking to you like this because I'm assuming that you care about how to be good ambassadors for Christ's kingdom in the time and place that you live. I'm just making that assumption. As Christians, that you understand that's what you're here for. Okay, good. There was a bit of a rumble out there. I'll take it. <laughs> All right. So, what does that mean? What I'm saying is, it's interesting to me on that one that enough, still, some of the basic truth that flows out at the level of consequence when it comes to adultery, that's been enough to kind of convince me. There's still enough visible pain, I guess, from that. Experienced, felt pain from deviating from God's design when it comes to cheating on somebody that you're married to, right? That people are still like, yeah, for the most part, at least we got a majority saying, yes, that's wrong. But how do, how do we make decisions about where, where the Bible starts to be right and wrong when it comes to whether or not God made these things and then how, they're, how they work best, right? So <clears throat> there's, there's, there's fundamental issues here. And, and ultimately, because... <laughs> Because 75% of people in the U.S. still are answering, I think, I think adultery is wrong. I want to I use this opportunity because I really see Proverbs 5, 6, and 7 kind of as all together in a series, all addressing these issues, marriage, family, sex, God's design for that, what happens when we deviate from it. And what, what, are the de- what, 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 are the de- what are God's purposes and designs, and then what are the, the deviations, right? Because... How, do you, how would you get into the, the place of being deceived and to think adultery is a good idea, right? Or the right thing to do or worth it at all, right? How could you get there? Well, you could have an anemic, fundamentally flawed, somehow broken understanding of God's purpose for marriage right off the bat. So, so let's, let's look at that. What is God's purpose for marriage? Well, a lot could be said about that. Sermons have been uh, taught. Books have been written. I'm going to boil it down to this idea. God's design for marriage is that it would be much more a covenant than it is a contract. I think that distinction would help us boil down the differences between the way God's church is meant to approach marriage and the way the typical person out here today sees it. Because I'm wondering, with the typical attitude, right, if, if, if Bella Swan is your theologian, okay, and, and marriage is just a piece of paper, why is adultery wrong? I don't get, if there's nothing sacred to it, and, and you might be thinking, well, I don't know, man, that's kind of, okay, but if sex is just a physical act, and it's just like what animals do at the zoo, then why is adultery wrong? What are, what are, you, what are your feelings hurt about? Marriage is a piece of paper, sex is just a physical act, like what, 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 what are we talking about 75% of Why is this wrong? And if family is, I mean, good Lord, I mean, we're getting to the point now where family is, is you know, I don't want to get too far down that. 
if we don't if we don't see any sanctity or we don't see any design purpose in the way God established family, I just don't have time in this sermon. The the trail that opened up there in, in Pastor Vince's head and where it all went is like, nope, we're gonna close that door. We'll come back to the notes, okay? That happens sometimes. You didn't know all that was going on when I'm up here preaching, huh? Aren't you glad the Holy Ghost is real and helping me while I'm doing this? Good Lord. You think these are long normally. My goodness. I could have you all here until you passed out. Promise. But if you have a fundamental misunderstanding of, of God's purpose and design for marriage, God's purpose and design for sex, God's purpose and design for the family, all, all of a sudden, I, I can really understand how somebody, I could, I could start to really understand how 25% of people can get to the point of saying, yeah, adultery's not wrong. But something's, but what I'm saying is, I don't think the, I don't think the bulk of the 75% are saying adultery is wrong because they've really got a robust understanding of God's design and purpose for marriage, family, and sex. Some do, amen. Right? But, but the ones, so what I'm talking about is the ones that say it's wrong but don't have that. Why? Why? Well, I would say partially because there's, there, there's something in us that understands these things even if we haven't been taught the fullness of, of where it all comes from. Right? C.S. Lewis and others would call this... So, along the lines of the language of a universal moral law. You'd be hard-pressed to find a culture throughout time that would celebrate adultery as a, uh, as a virtue. I'm, I'm not saying there's not maybe certain small exceptions to the rule, but that would be very strange in the grand scope of human history. For the most part, and that's what I'm saying. So what does that tell you? What I guess what I'm proposing is that's evidence when you're trying to search for, all right, what is, what is true? What reflects ultimate reality here? When, when you have this, this kind of general witness, even without the details of why, in a bunch of people, that, this, that just feels wrong, <laughs> right? What, is that, what, is that t- what do you decide about that? Well, you could decide it's an evolutionary, uh, it's a, you know, it's, it's the, <clears throat> that's funny to me. It, it's, it's the, Result of, of certain um, natural selection and, and, and evolutionary pieces that, that came together. Or, and I can get that. I, I, I shouldn't giggle at it. I mean, I can understand how you could maybe get there. But when it comes to things like this, I just, it, doesn't, <clears throat> it doesn't hold a ton of water. Um, I think the answer is pretty clearly that um, God made us and fashioned things in a certain way. And, and Romans 1 says... Something in us looks for that, right? That God's divine nature, that his great power, it's evident in what has been made and how it's been made. And something in us responds to that. So mar- fundamental misunderstandings about marriage, it's, it's, a, it's a covenant and not a contract. What do I mean by that? Well, I kind of already said that. If it's, if it's just a piece of paper, if it's, just, if it's just an agreement of, you know, we'll do this as long as it's mutually beneficial, if it isn't sacred, if there's nothing in uh, marriage that has to do with uh, covenant love, right? That I'm, I'm going to prefer you above myself and, and you're going to do that and we're both going to do that to reflect Christ to one another. If, if none of that's in there, then it starts, to <clears throat> it starts to make, fidelity starts to make less sense, right? Uh, family. God ordained marriage all the way back in Genesis, commanded them to be fruitful and multiply. The basic fundamental structure of human existence is the family, and parents are meant to teach and instruct their children in the wisdom of the Lord. The, the, the 
kind of smallest building block of human society that God instituted and started all the way in Genesis is the family. Families are God's idea, okay? You might say, well, I don't know. Okay, but think, think about this. Instruction of the father, right? The teaching the father, instruction of the mother, all of that. It, it's, it's not just Proverbs that says that. Let me read you this from Deuteronomy 6. We're talking about the purpose of families, Okay? This is Deuteronomy 6. Now this commandment, the statutes and the judgments which the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you so that you may do them in the land where you are going over to take possession of it. So that you, hear this, so that you, right? So what do you say first? Listen, here's the commandments of the Lord. Why? Why these commandments? So that you, your son, your grandson, will fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command you all the days of your life and... Why? Why do we want that? Why do we want people to have a proper reverence for the Lord and, and understand that he's good? Why, why? And that your days may be prolonged. Now, Israel, you shall listen and be careful to do them so that it may go well, so that it may, what? It may go well for you and that you may, what? Increase greatly just as the Lord, the God of your fathers has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. See, that's a problem a lot of times with these discussions. You have people that are Christians but not thoughtful or careful that, that, that they, don't, they don't reason like, like we see in Deuteronomy here. Why did I point that out to you? We want to obey all these commandments, keep all the statutes, right? All the days of your life. Why? So that your days may be prolonged, right? So that it will go well for you. You may increase greatly, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in the land flowing with milk and honey. Now, what I'm saying is there's zero motivation ever throughout the scriptures of like obeying God because at the, at the very end, if you don't, there is judgment for that. Of course that's there. But the primary, Romans says it's the love of God that draws men to him. Isn't that what it says, bro? That's what it says. And, and here we, the reasoning is, look, man, I'm giving you these boundaries. Why? Because these boundaries, you stay in these boundaries, there's good things. Go outside those boundaries and there's bad things. <laughs> We're back to that very simple premise that each of us need reconvinced of almost every single day. But we also have to be ready to share with others so many people's perception of Christians because, again, people that either are Christians or not very thoughtful or aren't Christians at all have pounded on tables, pounded on pulpits, and said, do this or don't do this because you're going to go to hell if you do this or don't do this. You go to hell, you're separated from God for eternity, because you reject the grace offered by Jesus Christ. That's what affects eternity. Every single one of us have a long list of brokenness in places where we've deviated outside of these benevolent boundaries. God wants good for you. He loves you. Here is, so what are the statutes? What are the commands? This will help you. Hear Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. What does he want? He wants you to love him. Isn't that amazing? It's not obey him because he wants you to fear him because he's on an ego trip. The Lord has done all that is necessary for you to know that he loves you, and what does he want in return? What should come naturally? To love him in return. He wants a real, isn't that, does that help you? I hope it helps you. He wants a real relationship with you based on actual, genuine love. That's what God wants. What's the most important commandment, teacher? They got Jesus, right? We got it, we got it from, 
We got it from the man himself. He confirms what we see here. What does God want most of all? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he ties to it inextricably, can't take them apart, to love your neighbor as yourself. And friends, in the days to come, you have a lot of opportunities to either love the Lord your God and love your neighbor or to love some perception of God and walk around self-righteous and the second one is not going to do. Okay? And what else? Okay, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your strength. Okay, so I'm going to give you these commands. They're real important. Here's why God wants good for you. What's the command? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. What else? These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart, and you shall repeat them diligently to your sons and speak of them when you sit in your house and when you walk on the road and when you lie down and when you get up. You shall also tie them as a sign to your hand, and they shall be as frontlets on your forehead. You shall also write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Thank God someone came up with those vinyl stickers. You guys don't have to write on the wall so much, huh? Put them scriptures on vinyl stickers. Come off when you want to paint. <clears throat> is that really what it means? Like Everyone that doesn't have a scripture written on their wall is in sin? No, it's okay. You do need something that says live, laugh, love, though, for sure. If you don't have that, that's probably sinful. If you have that, I'm, I'm not, it's whatever. Design is in the eye of the beholder. I probably shouldn't have said that. That was a door that should have stayed closed. Don't be offended. Um, you know, I'm sure I have something that says gather in my house, too. Uh, so, oh, that was another one. I did it again. Well, anyways, hallelujah. What is the point here? The point is you don't have to write anything on the walls. You don't have to have a sign that says anything. The point is these things are going to be written on our heart and then we're going to pass them on. And friends, fundamentally, what is wrong with much of the brokenness in our society is, is some disconnection in that series. Us having the commands of God, trusting in the commands of God written upon our hearts and then transferring it to the next generation. When that chain gets broken, the more that happens, the, the more the, the, those benevolent fences that God built break down and deteriorate, people run out of them and absolute insanity ensues. And that's a lot of what we're looking at. So what I, I'm talking about the fact that we have a purpose in marriage in God's design, family, sex. We talked about this several weeks ago in detail. Uh, there was younger kids in here, some of them that I know personally, and they were like, wow, that was, that was my first sermon. I'm like, okay, well, sorry. Um, I did warn your parents, but, you know, biblically, sex is for procreation, connection, pleasure within marriage. It has a much wider uh, and, and, and more sacred purpose than oftentimes it's reduced down to um, God designed. It's a, here's the, the summary, bottom line. Sex is a gift from God that's meant to exist within the benevolent boundaries of marriage because when there is covenant love and a deep level commitment modeled upon Christ's commitment to us, when there is covenant love, then it's safe to get to that level of vulnerability and intimacy with somebody. Outside of that, it always causes harm. Again, people think, people that nobody's ever took the time to explain this to them carefully, they think, okay, God's mean and he doesn't like fun. Sex is fun, so God says don't do it because God's the fun police. That's like the summary of their thing, right? 
It's like Christians are, are hateful to, to everyone that wants to have fun, and, and that's stupid. So Christians are stupid, right? You, like, you see the logic train. And sometimes there are those that because they, they aren't thoughtful in the way they present these things, like they've earned the label. But we should be thoughtful and scriptural and careful and gentle even in the way we talk about all of these things, keeping in mind everything we talked about starting from the beginning. Man, you don't know why somebody believes what they believe about a certain thing. But if it's, if it's separate, if, it, if it's different than what the Bible teaches, you can be sure there's a blindness issue there. There's a deception issue there. I can't tell you if it's because no one ever told him any better. I can't tell you, I can't tell you if it's something happened to him or, or Satan just was successful in, in, in tricking him. But whatever it is, we, we don't get to just treat people like trash and, and, and because we think we've got it all figured out, man. I was blind too and still am and still am being brought into the light day by day by the grace of God. Let me keep a, a firm grip, grip, you know, grasp on that as I'm engaging anybody else. Satan will consistently attack the idea that God has a purpose and design for marriage, for family, and for sex. And it leads to many, 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 many painful iterations for people. I, <clears throat> this is in the pocket for this. And because of what's going on this week, I, I, don't, I don't know that we can not take this opportunity, being in God's word, being in this pocket, to, to go ahead and specifically address what's happened this week in terms of Roe v. Wade and, and all of that. And here's, here's what I want to say first of all. <clears throat> I will not, nobody ever possibly could, say everything that could be said about this if we stayed here all day. If you think this is a simple issue, you haven't thought about it enough, and I'm not trying to offend you. It's not simple. It's, it's moral. It, it has deep moral components. It, it is inherently now political, which makes it even more complicated because people's ideas, of, there's, there's such a wide spectrum, right? You have, you got, you know, my body, my choice, abortion is murder, and then there's a bunch of stuff in the middle to think about. Do you understand what I'm saying? There really is. And so if, if you, it's, it's fine if you think that me saying it's complicated is, is, is overcomplicated. I'm just telling you, well, let's talk about it afterwards if that's what you think it is. Because this is multifaceted, multilayered. It's gotten complicated. That's probably, part of it probably is, is by design of the devil to make it very complicated, okay? But here's, so I can't say everything that needs to be said about it, but I'm, I'm going to say, I want to say some things to you from a scriptural perspective. First, here's the most important. And based on the sermon so far, you probably already see this coming. Here's what I'm asking you to do, okay? I can't, I, I don't have, you know, I don't have responsibility or authority to say anything to the rest of the Christians in Cincinnati or the United States, but this, this is our church family, so I'm talking to you, okay? So here's, here's what I'm asking you to do first and foremost when it comes to this this abortion firestorm that now has is, is been let loose. Don't be fools, first and foremost. This is what I'm asking of you. Don't be fools. Avoid caricatures and meme-level reasoning when it comes to this. You know what I'm talking about? Caricatures are unhelpful. Let me give you an example of what I mean. Okay? 
Here's two caricatures that often get thrown around as people debate this issue, oftentimes unintelligently. One caricature is of what people think Christians think, right? Which is that, that all we think about the entire thing is that abortion is murder and that's it. And we don't care about any of the difficult circumstances. We don't care about any of the, 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 the trauma that people have gone through. Any of, any of the, what, what happens when babies are born into very difficult situations that we're just heartless and single issue voters, that's all we care about. That's what some people think Christians think about it, okay? And again, there's reasons why people think that. It's been earned sometimes. Then on this side, you've got a caricature of people and or women that are cold-hearted all the way to the core, don't care about unborn children, and just run around using uh, abortion as birth control. That's the character. And then what you have, when, what Satan likes to do, is set up these caricatures that represent actually a, not that many people and get everybody on whatever side of whatever fence they perceive, wherever that actually lands, to, to see everybody on the other side like that. And then, and then you're arguing at things that aren't real. Now these are, I used maybe the most extreme examples I can think of, but let, I just, look, think about this, okay? 76% of women seeking abortion say they would not be, they would not be doing that if their circumstances were different. What does that tell you? Well, it could tell you a lot of things, but here's one thing it tells you. Did you hear what I said? 76%, is that a majority? That's a vast majority, is it not? That's over three quarters. Said if the circumstances were different, they would not be seeking an abortion. What that tells me is, that's not some kind of heartless person that just doesn't care about the unborn is running around here using abortion as birth control. You, You can stare at me if you want to. It tells me that for sure. It tells me that what it makes me is sad. It makes me sad that, that somehow she's been convinced because of whatever her circumstances are, and that could be wildly variant, she thinks that's her only option. That's heartbreaking. 76%. Now, what happens is, is as soon as we start talking like this, depending on where you land on this, the caricatures rush in, right? And it, and it shuts the conversation down, right? Because... Somebody could hear what I just said, and it's like, well, I mean, (laughs) first of all, why does this why does this tie to everything else we're talking about? Am I am I leaping here to connect this? I mean, if if well, I don't I don't want to be condescending in the way I say this. To me, it's there's no leap. The chains connect very neatly between Proverbs teaching on sex and family and marriage and abortion, and if you don't think they're linked. 86%, 86% 86%, 86% of abortions in the U.S. are unmarried women, okay? There was a breakdown somewhere, okay? Again, I'm, I, I want us to be compassionate about this. I want us to see the, the, the darkness of it, the lack of light, the lack of, of feeling any kind of hope, and see us as people that primarily are not to be dealing condemnation out, but hope. Because if you got 86% that were unwed, oftentimes it's contributing to them being a part of the 76% that if their circumstances were different, they wouldn't be looking to do that. They wish, what does that mean? They wish there was another option, they just don't see one. That's heart, that's heartbreaking. And I want to make sure we say this very clearly because 
Somehow, when it comes to the discussion around abortion, the caricatures by self-righteous people oftentimes disproportionately look like women. And you might say, well, yeah, no, listen to me. (laughs) The fact that 86% are unwed and 76% feel like they have no options, men are as responsible for that or more. Irresponsible man boys running around here willing to have sex with people that have no desire whatsoever for what sex does. Everyone, let me, you know, I don't, let's make sure there's not an information gap. Everyone understands here, I've said a lot around all of this. I could, probably should have started here. We all know that sex makes babies. We know that, bro. Everyone got that? Everyone's been at least to enough school to know that. Okay, amen. There's some great little books written by Christians that lay that out so you can talk to your kids about it. If you haven't seen the details yet, we'll, get, we'll hook you up. I'll buy it for you. Okay? So we know that, but then somehow we end up villainizing these women that often get left holding the bag. And we're not talking about these dudes running around. Irresponsible. Now again, I, you're hearing my temptation to get self-righteous right there. Did you hear it come out? Because for me, I have, comp- I have a lot of compassion on the women. The, the dudes I want to smack. That's a, I'm, I'm just talking, talk, can I just, is it okay for me to be real or do I need to pretend up here? Like I have this all figured out all the time. I do want to smack them. But I have to remember the same deception that allows me to, to think about women in difficult situations and not having any options. The deception that leads them into the places where they are, those, those young men oftentimes probably had no instruction. They maybe had no father teaching them God's design for family and marriage and sex. So they're equally deceived. So I need to have compassion on them. I need to be willing to take, take them alongside and teach them and be kind to them and not dunk them on their forehead. Amen? But let's, but let's not be one-sided on, on, on that issue and where where the problems arise. Because I'm trying to get to the roots. You understand? I'm, this, this may have felt like it got convoluted, but I promise this entire sermon has been us digging down to the roots and trying to figure out why is so much jacked up for so many people when it comes to family, marriage, and sex? Why is there so much pain in this world as a result of deviation from God's design in these things? That's really the entirety of what this sermon is about. Okay? This just particular issue got very extra relevant this week, and I don't want to send you out here without at least some basic things to be thinking about and praying about. Because you've got you to navigate this thing now as it unfolds as believers, as kingdom ambassadors. Okay, and I want us to do that humbly and thoughtfully, um, but also full of truth, grace and truth, just like Jesus. Okay? <clears throat> Here's, here's some more caricatures that get thrown out. There's, um, there's two major institutes that kind of track abortion statistics. You get the CDC, and then there's something called the Guttmacher Institute. The, the second is typically understood to probably be a little bit more accurate, but I want you to understand that that institute is um, not anti-abortion. They would be on the other side of the thing. So hear these stats and know this isn't like um, some some pro-life group skewing numbers. This comes straight from the Guttmacher Institute. Look into them. 
they, they would advocate that abortion is a right that people should have in basically any circumstance they deem necessary. Okay, so this is their numbers, all right? Because here's other caricatures that come up. I heard uh, somebody got on TV that has a lot of influence and, and instantly when this Roe v. Wade thing happened, inst- I'm talking instantly, it jumped to caricatures about incest and rape and the burden that it would put on people if that, it, to, to be forced into situations like that. And let me just say something. I'm about to read a stat. I want you to process the stat and understand how it plays into the entire conversation. None of this means that we should not have compassion for every single person put in that situation. And I just want you to know that anybody that puts someone in that situation and doesn't find genuine repentance in Christ is going to get dealt with by him. Nobody gets away with anything. Oftentimes what will happen in this conversation is there's, there's this character like, well, well, Christians don't care about all these hard cases, right? Hard cases being women that end up seeking abortion because of very difficult circumstances. What are those? What, what are considered those? The totality of these equals about 7% of, of overall uh, <clears throat> abortions that happen, which last year was... Uh, Right around 950,000 in the U.S. Oftentimes people will imagine, okay, what, what about the, the, uh, a very young girl that just gets into a bad situation? 0.2% of abortions in the U.S. are, are girls under 15. 8.5%, that was 0.2%, are under 15. 8.5%, 15 to 19 years of age. 3.7% are over 40. So what that leaves is Roughly 85% between the ages of 20 and 40 are the ones that get abortion. These are stats from the Guttmacher Institute. What am I trying to do? Honestly, I swear to you, I am not, I'm not trying to convince anybody about anything as far as the debate goes. That's, even A monologue is not a great place to try to do that. All I'm trying to do is to prepare you to think as you go out into this next week and, and to be able to engage thoughtfully. That's what I want you to be able to do. Okay, because I, I want you, the first thing I asked of you, Love City, is don't be fools. When it comes to this and every other thing where, I mean, when you, would you just see an uproar of division and anger and vitriol and hate? You just don't need to guess the source of that. That's not how God does stuff. I don't know what all Satan's up to, but he's up to something. And I want to stand in the way. I want to stand in the way and be a peacemaker. I want to stand in the way in the name of Christ. And I want to be an ambassador of love and compassion. But part of what can help you do that is to not get sucked into propaganda loops, okay? And be taken for a fool. And that's the first thing I'm asking you to do is just don't be taken for a fool, all right? Don't get sucked into the caricatures. And don't, ultimately, if I'm gonna have any, any conversation around this, I, I want it to be in the context of where I can sit down with somebody and it can be long because it's probably gonna need to be. And we establish, first of all, like why we're even here and what we're trying to accomplish. I, I'm not ye- I don't want to yell at anybody about this. It doesn't help, okay, at all. People oftentimes go to, you know, kind of the, the uh, rape, health of a mother. These are caricatures that get thrown out, right? Pers- this is also Guttmacher Institute. This is not some, you know, wh- whatever. This, th- this is... This is coming from the side of the aisle that would say, you know, basically we think abortion is a fundamental right, okay? This is their numbers. Percentage reason for abortions. 
0.5% are victims of rape. 3% are fetal health problems. 4% are physical health problems. 4% would interfere with education or career. 7% say not mature enough to raise a child. 8% don't want to be a single mother. 19% are done having children. 23% can't afford a baby. 25% not ready for a child. 6% goes in the other bracket. Okay? So here's, as Christians, I think it's just really important that we are able to, we're able to speak about issues like this. And I, I, I don't know, no, I don't know why anybody would hear this, but I'm hoping people will hear you out in your life, right? That's really what, that's really where I'm hoping the scope of this is able to, to go out because there is a caricature of Christians that we're, you know, we're dumb and uninformed and we just think abortion is bad all the time. And, and sometimes, that's, sometimes that's been warranted. Let me, mean, let me clarify what I say. Gosh, this is so complicated. Because, you know, honestly, if, <clears throat> if you don't know what an ectopic pregnancy is, you probably shouldn't talk about any of this yet. At all. You should probably be quiet. Well, here's why. Because here in the great old state of Ohio, we had a representative not too long ago draft abortion uh, legislation and and talked in there about trying to like take take that and move it and get it. What is an ectopic pregnancy? That's when it attaches somewhere other than uterus. It's not viable. And it's going to probably, and it's going to be a health complication for the mother. That's to, to go in and deal with that surgically is not an abortion, yet it all gets lumped in oftentimes. That's what I'm talking about. There's so much confusion in all of this, guys. You got to think, you got to pray, and you got to be quiet until you know you've thought and prayed. <laughs> don't get out here talking about stuff you don't know nothing about. And this, this representative, this, this person elected to be a state representative had to say, oh yeah, I didn't really research how those work when I wrote the bill. That makes me want to throw something, like What? Because, because you have all these fears being, being awoken in people. You know, some of you, I mean, you're seeing rallies, you're seeing this, you're seeing anger, you're seeing vitriol. That's because there, there, there are people that, that genuinely are concerned that women are going to be denied absolutely necessary health care as a result of abortion bans, dealing with miscarriages, dealing with ectopic pregnancies, other complications. And, and, and you would say, oh, come on, well, that's ridiculous but there's been legislation drafted where they did it. Now it got struck down, thankfully, because someone with a half a brain looked at it, thank God, and read it before it got voted on, right? Pastor Vince, this is the most political I've ever seen you get in a sermon. Yes, I know, and I don't like it. But, but it's part of what I'm saying about this issue. It is so inherently complicated because it touches so many different levels. There's a moral issue. There's, it, this touches morality, biology. It touches political theory. Like, what do you think the role of the government is? That's a big conversation that gets people excited and works on, that really, that really makes people come around in unity, doesn't it? Like, what do you think the role of the government is? Let's eat corn dogs and talk about it and smile. No. <laughs> no, okay? And, and so this is as much that as it is a moral issue, a biological issue. It, man, there's, it's a confluence of many rivers very difficult to talk about. And that's why I'm, I'm not going to try to get in and unpack all those rivers. I'm not an expert in all those rivers. But here's, here's, where, here's the flag I want to plant. Here's what I want to say to us. 
Let's not be fools. Let's not get pulled into foolishness. Let's not get pulled into these, these caricatures and buying into propaganda. Let's let love guide everything we do, everything we say. Be careful and understand that this, for many people, is far more complicated than, than you may think it is. Amen. Wherever you land in the thing, wherever you land along the spectrum as you're trying to think through it. Okay? And <clears throat> I'm, I'm thankful that, uh, I'm thankful that the scriptures do give us wisdom and does lead us to these kind of bottom line things because there is so much confusion and, and there's so much kind of, look over here, look over here, the distraction stuff that happens. I, I need anchors for my soul. I need anchors for my mind. I need somewhere to run back to when I feel myself start getting pulled into the, the vortex of all of the swirl of these very complicated things. You know, you might be thinking, well, what's the problem, dude? Are you just not smart enough to understand it all? <laughs> it's like, well, I would just say, probably not, for sure not that. But I would say, if you, if you think you are smart enough to understand it all, I, you might be the dumbest person in the room. That's okay, right? Maybe, maybe not, because if, if that was you, like, no, I, I get all of this totally, perfectly. Um, congratulations, you're God, and we'll sing to you next week. Just let me know who we should, you know, whose name we should put on the screen. Just kidding, we're not doing that. Uh, there's only one God who knows everything perfectly, and uh, I'm thankful he loves me, and he loves every single person that's been broken by the effects of sin in this world, and he has great hope for them. And he has drawn benevolent boundaries for them. And he wants joy and peace and hope for them. And he wants real relationship with them. And we should do nothing ever that gets in the way of that. Ever. Now, sometimes speaking the truth in love will not land for someone because of where they're at. It will not land in such a way that they're able to receive it. I can't always do something about that. But what I can do something about is praying my guts out and asking God to help me always make sure when I speak truth, it is genuinely in love. And if it's not in love, that he would shut my mouth. Shut it. Because I've got nothing to say if it's not motivated by love. Love for God and love for people. Are you sure? Let me just say this again and we'll end. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment? Okay, Love City, when, when, when the scribe said, teacher, who was he talking to? Jesus, okay? Do we feel good about the answer we're going to get from Jesus on what is the most important commandment? Do we feel good about that? If it's Jesus giving the answer, can we, can we just go with it? Everyone cool with that? Raise your hand if you're good with Jesus' answer on what is the most important commandment, okay? Good, that's about unanimous. So we all, man, regardless of what you think about... <laughs> maybe even all the rest of the scriptures, most people like Jesus. They like what Jesus had to say. We'll work on the rest, but let's just, right here, man. What's the most important commandment, teacher? Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and soul and mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Here's what I can assure you, dear friend. As you go out into this next week and you try to navigate this firestorm, if you let that great command guide you, you will not go wrong. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. Lord, thank you for your word that is true.
Thank you for the book of Proverbs. Thank you for practical wisdom that leads us into very complicated conversations. But Lord, I'm glad that it's there. I'm glad that your word isn't just kind of ethereal and theoretical, but you get right down into the practicalities of things. Lord, please help us as your people uh, to heed the words of the proverb writer, also the command given us to, to us in uh, Deuteronomy. Help us be people that take seriously the responsibility of investing in the people around us, whether they be little children or even those younger in the faith. God, whoever you would grant us influence to speak into, help us take that responsibility seriously. Help that be a motivation for us to continue to study your word and to grow in the fruit of the spirit. Lord, may our love for people that you may grant us the responsibility to influence. May love for them be part of what keeps us motivated to stay within those benevolent boundaries ourselves and to keep pursuing you with passion, to keep growing in Christ-likeness. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Love is the motivation that will never take us wrong. Lord, I, I ask that you would help us um, as we navigate this upcoming week. We're, we're in a time and space that humans have never been. It's only really been, Lord... <laughs> 15 years, a little more, that we have had the ability to get onto platforms and argue with people around the world. It hasn't been that long, and and we obviously uh, need help having access to that. Lord, for some of us, the answer might be just to get out of there. And Lord, if that's the case, I ask that you would would make that clear to people. Uh, Lord, for some of us, it means additional thought and prayer before we type anything. Lord, it's not just what could happen online. There is real pain. There is real fear. There is real anger uh, swirling around these issues in workplaces, uh, all throughout our communities, our neighborhoods. Lord, help us. Here's, Here's what we're asking for your help to do. Help us be ambassadors of grace and truth, truth and grace. Help us never think we can separate them, but help us also take seriously the idea that we are your representatives here. Lord, I think, of, I think of Genesis, the beginning when you instituted marriage and family and sex. You, you gave all of those to us as gifts and, and we can see that the purpose. You said, be fruitful and multiply. That was your command. And now, it hasn't really changed. But now we're being fruitful and we're multiplying those that are your sons and daughters by faith. Help us be faithful disciples, faithful ambassadors. Help us not be cowards, but help us also not be cruel. We need your help, Lord. We love you so much. May we honor you in word and deed and thought this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church, located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To give or find out more about Love City Church, visit www.mylovecitychurch.org.